He would be horrified by the things I've done. And if you've come to tell me that Michael wouldn't want me to hurt Henry, that he would want me to forgive, I know that too. He told me. The last time I saw him alive, in jail, he told me to forgive. What did he get for that? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm Christian Spicer. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be discussing season one, episode five of The Last of Us on HBO, entitled Endure and Survive. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram at decodingtv. Now, Christian, I do want to point out, hey, uh, if you are a paid subscriber at DecodingTV.com, you're hearing this episode pretty early uh, because they decided to debut the Last of Us uh, episode a couple days early because they didn't want it going up against the Super Bowl. Even, you know, Joel and Ellie can face a lot of things. They can face, you know, bloated, infected, and... uh, uh, in, like paramilitary organizations, but they can't face off against uh, the biggest football game in, in the country. Unless um, you're watching it on linear cable HBO TV, then you got to choose. You got, you got to choose. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Also, indeed. It's yeah. after, yes. I mean, the Super Bowl zaps in the U S zaps so much out of so many people that I, I think, Oh gosh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think I actually read that even like it used to be a, a great spot in television would be the thing that follows the Super Bowl is where the network yes. would put like it's big show. And I think over the years that number has gone down. Like it still does pretty well, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the retained week to week has dropped because people are just so bloated themselves that they're like, mm-hmm. they don't change the channel. But then the next week they're not like, let's watch that TV show <laughs> yeah. that we yeah. watched last week again. It's wild. Yeah, but if you are a paid DecodingTV.com subscriber, you get episodes early. This one came really early. And actually, um, if you're on the free feed, you'll also get the episode early because um, we're releasing it earlier for everyone. But paid members get it ultra early. They also get bonus episodes that Christian and I are recording comparing the video game to the show. It's been a lot of fun to do those. A lot of great engagement over at DecodingTV.com. I also want to say, of course, on this podcast, we do not spoil anything from future week's episodes that includes anything on the next time on preview that includes anything we know from the video games. Uh, We really work hard at this. We don't always succeed 100% of the time uh, in terms of not spoiling, but I think like 99.99% of the time we're like pretty pretty successful. Um, So if you are just watching the show and you want to enjoy it as a show, uh, you're in safe hands. Let's get to uh, some follow-ups from last week christian um a lot of emails from last week uh i got a lot of emails about uh the topic of the music that closed out episode three of the podcast now we are talking about episode five right now uh, on today's episode but last week we talked about responses to episode three and somebody wrote in an email to decodingtv at gmail.com saying hey really loved the music that uh Gustavo Santolaya and so on, people wrote for uh, the ending of episode three, uh, featuring Bill and Frank. Got dozens of emails from people at decodingtv at gmail.com saying, hey, uh, they didn't write that piece of music. 
Uh, it's actually Max Richter's uh, piece called On the Nature of Daylight that closes off uh, the Frank and Bill storyline. And so I knew that. I've heard that music. I'm very familiar with it. I didn't fully, like, accurately articulate that on the podcast. It's my bad. Um, but yes, On the Nature of Daylight, a very well-known piece. Um, uh, probably most famously used in Arrival, if you've seen that movie. Um, very, very beautifully used. And uh, many people regard as overused. I believe Craig Mazin actually acknowledged, uh, I know that this piece is overused, but I'm still going to do it anyway because it's just so damn good. Uh, so I, I believe he said something along those lines uh, in regards to, with regards to why he decided to use Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight for the end of episode three of The Last of Us. Um, but thank you for everyone pointing that out. Christian, are you familiar with that piece? Does that piece sound familiar when you heard it? I am, and I'm I'm familiar with it in Arrival as well, which is a fantastic film. And I, I love that people point that stuff out. I do think sometimes when we're in the moment chatting, it's like, oh, at the end of the episode, this music comes in. And it's like, yes, there is Gustavo's score in the end, yeah. but not at the end. <laughs> it's, you know, there's that little bit of chess. But yes, that piece is incredible. And I think it's probably overused for some folks, for sure, that are consuming a lot of the types of media that would include that piece of music, if that yeah. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But I also think with the numbers that The Last of Us is getting on HBO, which continue to just skyrocket up, you know, week to week that hasn't stopped, I think it might have been a lot of people's first exposure to that piece. And it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, it was very know? well done. It was very well done. Yes, agreed, Christian. It's very frustrating to kind of know the facts of what is going on. But I think it was actually a listener email that that a lot of people were responding to. Um, but yeah, we, we know the facts. We know that there was a Max Richter piece. Sometimes we don't clearly articulate it. Uh, it's our bad. I, you know, I take full responsibility. But thank you for all the corrections. And do check out Max Richter's music. Um, my understanding is he wrote it in response to the Iraq War um, and kind of his complex feelings about that uh and so uh that that is some context for that piece it's a beautiful piece max richter is a genius composer check out his work and sometimes we don't know the facts too <laughs> oh yeah i mean, I mean ar arguably <laughs> most of the time you know but we try we try yeah all right here here's a question for you christian we might need to come back to this question as the episode goes on um but paul writes the following question um paul writes to decodingtvgmail.com. I've enjoyed listening to your Last of Us podcast and wanted to know if you thought about some of the logical and historical precedent errors in the show's plot. As an engineer, it hit me hard in the recent episode, episode four. It just doesn't make sense after 20 years that large groups of people would still be staying in cities. The infrastructure, um, food sources, both animal and plant-based, fuel, etc., would dwindle and people would be forced to go rural. Historically, that's what happens when civilizations fall. Cities get abandoned. Here, so far, both Boston and Kansas City are going strong. Add to it, Joel mentioned the infected tend to stay in the cities. Why would you stay where they are concentrated and ignore whatever is trying to break through the basement floor in episode four? Please. I'll also skip the question uh, of if 20-year-old canned ravioli is still edible. I understand that in both a game and intention building, it helps with the story to have a what's behind every corner question than what's that we see coming from a mile away in a field. It makes for a better plot device, but it's starting to bug me. Thoughts? Question mark. Uh, that comes in from Paul, writing into decodingtv at gmail.com. Basically, why are people staying in cities at all uh, in this future world? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. I love I love thoughts like this, right? I, I love this type of discussion. And I think, Dave, I forget if we talked about this, like as we were gearing in before we started hitting record on an episode or on an episode itself. But I, I think there, I, I talked about how I, I think it was in the pilot episode. I wish I could see more of this world because yeah. they, they do such fantastic world building and there's fantastic visual storytelling and world building. But I'm fascinated by, is there a president? Do the QZs talk to each other? Right. Does Boston QZ talk to Paris? Is there Paris? You know, like that is, it is not the point of this TV show. This TV show is about Ellie and Joel's journey. I I get that, but I'm so invested in this world. I'm just wondering like, there's a a radio exists to some extent, you know, waiting to hear from Tommy or or whatnot, right? Um, People radioing out to loved ones. Do they radio to the president and are, are they sitting somewhere? And so like that stuff, I don't know. We don't we don't get the answers to that. We haven't seen the answers to that in, in the show yet. Um, I think within the world, perhaps a reason people are in cities is because one, they were rounded up and put there um, or killed if there wasn't space as some like fascist reaction to mm-hmm. you know to this outbreak. Yep. And and two fear of raiders you know what is the the wilderness like in the sense and how many people can survive out there i have done some light overlanding you know style camping bureau of land management just out Mm -hmm. in the wilderness no hookups and i've done a week of that with my family but we before we set off on that week we went to vaughn's and got Mm -hmm. all our stuff I, i couldn't survive in the wilderness of utah uh, I would need the the <laughs> right. support of the city where I would be shoveling poop like Joel was going to have to do. <laughs> yeah. My, I mean, my personal philosophy, Christian, is mankind has spent tens of thousands of years trying to get out of the wilderness. And uh, I plan on staying out of the wilderness. I, I, I generally don't camp. I went glamping once and that was enough for me, Christian. Um, <laughs> I love camping. I love camping. If I were living out there, I would be enduring and surviving. <laughs> I think you bring up some really great points. Um, I, I, I do think it is easier to overlook in a game than in the show, right? Because in the game, you're just you're in the situation – Playing a video game is a very like task oriented uh, thing, like activity. It's, it, you're you're put in a situation. You're controlling this person. It's like do this thing next. Do this thing next to advance plot. So you're just like, okay, I'm going from A to B, A to B. So now, Last of Us uh, followed a very linear structure, but was ex- exceptionally executed, right? But it was still fundamentally you're going from point A to point B and watching a story play out. Um, whereas in a show, we are used to watching shows in a different way where we have podcasts about TV shows, we get congregate on Reddit and talk about it afterward. You know, like we have all these rituals around shows we, we also do for games, but it's like, it's a different kind of mode of consumption. I would argue uh, than for video games. So it's harder to overlook, but I think you're, you're probably right that um, life might be harder out. Like however oppressive and challenging life is in the QZ um, life outside of it is probably even more treacherous. Right. And so why do people not go out in the wilderness? Because they prefer um, the relative safety of having a Fedra-dominated organiz- you know, uh, infrastructure. Uh, and, and there are people who, who have escaped the Fedra structure, and we saw a little bit of that in episode three. Right? And you'd have to guess there are some settlements outside of the QZs. I, I'm just assuming, because we saw... Um, uh, 
the Raiders, sorry, on in episode three, we, we've heard about Raiders and we saw yeah. the raiding party happen in episode three. And I would have to assume that they have a somewhere to go. Like they raid supplies from somewhere and they, <laughs> they take right. it. Maybe, maybe they're always on the move. But, yeah. you know, there are supposed large groups of bad people <laughs> right. out there. So I would assume they have you know, bad person outpost <laughs> set up somewhere also. It's actually my favorite place to go in Wyoming. Bad person outpost. BPO is, is what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> BPO is what people in the, in the know, they call it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places to visit. You know, um, I love you. You do have to check your weapons at the door. That's unfortunate, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, but I do think also that the show has, like I don't remember it being in the video game that infected don't survive out in the in the rural wilderness. It was it am I recalling correctly that that's a show invention? I'm um, I don't want to touch that question right now because okay. there are differences between the show and the games. And we yeah. talked about some of them on the bonus episodes and let's leave that for that okay. later discussion if we may. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um but and, and point point being I think like uh anyway we have brought up some possible explanations for why things play out in the show uh the way they do uh but i also understand if people don't find all that stuff sufficiently explanatory so anyway uh thanks for all of your emails at decoding tv at gmail.com keep them coming in it's really uh great to to be engaging with the audience this way and of course a huge thanks to all the paid members at decoding tv.com for making this podcast possible christian let's talk briefly about our overall thoughts on episode five endure and survive what did you think of this episode? Overall, I still really enjoyed this episode. I still think that this is, you know, up there with some of the finest hour-long TV on TV. You know, uh, it's very good television. Episode three was some <laughs> of the very best television. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, uh, I love baseball. And so, unless Aaron Judge, a New York Yankees slugger, hits even more home runs next year where he set last year, he set the American league record for most home runs ever hit in a season. So if next year, if he only hits 45, mm-hmm. you're like, that was a bad year. And it's like, no, still better than almost anyone who's ever played the game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel about episode five. There is stuff in this episode that made me ugly cry, even being familiar with the story. Um, the end of this episode hit harder than I was expecting it to hit. Uh, you know, it hit me like a truck with run spray painted on the front of it. Um, <laughs> and then there were moments of the Kathleen storyline that I found we were told more than shown. Yes. Yes. And I still really love that character. I really love Perry. I think Perry ate up scenes, um, which is played by Jeffrey Pierce, who plays Tommy uh in the video is kind of like her assistant right yeah he's the her, lead a- her, her, the like, agent yeah her we number his, one dude her number one guy right we yeah. learned his name in this episode i i thought he chewed up scenes with like he's dutiful but also like there seemed to be more in his eyes like and, and i feel like they spent time on him like he was yeah. getting one shots when he didn't have dialogue and he was saying a lot i loved him but i feel like that part of the story didn't satisfy me the way the other half of the story did in this episode. I am in almost complete 100% agreement with you here. This was a solid episode of television. I would say seven or eight out of 10 in terms of how enjoyable it was. And in particular, the final set piece was really, really well done. Like so good, really good stuff. 
terrifying stuff. Looked like there was a lot of practical effects too. Yeah. Um, and one of the delights of the show, as somebody who's played the video game, is you get to see video game sequences reimagined in filmic form. And a lot of the times it's like, oh, that's pretty thrilling. Last episode, there was the truck standoff. This episode, there's the Joel sniping. Uh, a very similar sequence plays out in the video games. Uh, and it's thrilling here too, in my opinion. Uh, they change a lot of the details, but it's like really, really thrilling. Uh, there's some Christopher Nolan-esque stuff going on in this episode. <laughs> like I got a flashback to Inception when that train rolls through the city mm. and like is is destroying cars left and right. It's like there's a very similar sequence in this episode when uh, they're moving that snow, pl- that, uh, like retrofitted snowplow or whatever through um, through all those cars. It, it just is visually spectacular. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the Kathleen storyline when we get to it in, in the, you know, point by point recap. But um, the show has veered off from the video game in, in my opinion, pretty strategic uh, ways in the past, it's taking some chances, right? Mm-hmm. And I, even in this episode, it's taking some chances. Um, and I think by and large, these have been successful decisions. Uh, I'll just throw out a couple of quick examples. Um, obviously, the whole Bill and Frank thing in episode three, but even like smaller things, all the stuff with Joel and Tess that we've talked about, like there's like very minute differences between the video game and the story. Like, uh, Joel knowing the guard in episode one, um, which he didn't, there was no guard character in the, in the video game, right? So like the show has kind of like veered off in these different directions to like explore this world a little bit more in ways that I largely think are interesting and good. But to me, the Kathleen storyline is its first real misstep. Hmm. Um, it, it was not a storyline that I think was particularly well done. They, they really set up them for themselves, like a lot of challenges in the storyline. Um, one big one being that you never meet this critical character of Michael that's like so important to the story. And and also also Kathleen's only in kind she's only kind of in two episodes. You know, she was in a little bit of last episode and then she's in a lot of this episode, and that's it. That's all we get of Kathleen. You know? Well, to be fair. I mean, yeah, we're talking about this episode, so you've already watched the episode. Yes, she dies in this episode, but we yeah. don't know if we learn more about her later. Like, we've seen more mm. Tess after mm. Tess's death. That's true. I, That's true. I yeah. Can't imagine the story that like learning more about Kathleen will tell. But for right. all I know, episode well, like, why would we be brought back to that storyline? Right? Yeah. Unless knows, Michael is Tommy by another name, or yeah, you know, like, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I could see something where yeah. they have this actor who I think a lot of people connected with. I know we got some comments about her portrayal in episode four and people being like oh yeah i, I recognize that character <laughs> you know as soon as she yeah. was on screen yeah um so there's a chance but yes in the the linear timeline yes kathleen at this done. moment uh i i am disappointed in how the kathleen storyline played out uh and that's a shame because i think melody linsky is a national treasure she's one of our best actors um but I, I did not think that this was well executed. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about why uh, in the minutes to come. But before we get to the minutes to come, Christian, I want to talk about our sponsor, Nissan. This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan is always looking for ways to deliver new meaningful technologies to EV owners. 
After all, Nissan's been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles, which is the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. If you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows you don't just get an EV for the E, you get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric, because it sparks your imagination, it ignites something within you, it pins you to your seat, and it takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive in an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, to pay attention, to look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. And let me just say, Christian Spicer, that it was pretty thrilling and electrifying when Kathleen's whole crew is driving that large vehicle into all these empty, bombed-out cars. Boy, did that get me out of my... I was, like, sitting up. My heart was on the edge of my seat, you know, to mix some metaphors. It was truly electrifying. Probably would have been made better if it was an electric vehicle they had, but obviously that technology doesn't exist in the post-apocalypse, is my guess. For that reason, I think it's important to say that Nissan has EVs that electrify, and I think uh, you should consider them when you are shopping for your vehicles next. Thanks to Nissan for sponsoring us for this episode of Decoding TV. All right, let's move on. We begin the episode with uh, Kansas City. People are chanting in the streets, fuck you, Fedra. We see Fedra agents being dragged through the streets, being murdered. Um, truck A truck rolls through the streets saying collaborators need to come out now and they'll face a fair trial. Uh, basically, it's a flashback, Christian. It's taking us to an indeterminate time before the events of episode four, uh, when the people have taken back control of the city. It's chaos. Uh, it's discombobulating. We don't know exactly what's happening. We don't know when we are. Uh, but then we meet Henry and Sam. Um, we learn that Sam is deaf and Henry's trying to leave them out of the city. He's obviously in trouble with these people in some big way. Uh, and we then learn like this whole episode's a flashback. It's basically all the stuff that led up to them getting out of the city. And they are the characters. This whole part, not the whole episode. This, this first chunk of it, which I I was a little disoriented by at first. Yeah. Totally. With the, not the cold open, but the open of when was this in time? And I think we were meant to feel a little uneasy as we watched that, um, chaos unfold. Um, so Anyway, uh, we meet Kathleen again along with Perry. Kathleen is basically asking another group of people um, what's going on with uh, Henry. We learn like that these people that she has there are people who have assisted Fedra in the past. Um, and they have probably, presumably helped Fedra to imprison and kill uh, some of Kathleen's neighbors and friends. And so she's very upset about it. She wants information about Henry because Henry has betrayed them in some way. Um, betrayed them later, we learn, in a way that's led to Kathleen's brother's death, right? Who was uh, the former leader of this group. It's a pretty similar scene to the one we had last week of her with that doctor. Um, but this time she is even more cold-blooded because she says, hey, cooperate and you'll get a fair trial. And then she later says, just kill them and burn the bodies. This is Kathleen at her most cold-blooded that we ever see in the whole show. Is just kill all these like fairly normal not necessarily innocent, but certainly like people who like are everyday people just trying to survive, right? Just kill them all. Um, 
before we get back to the Henry Sam storyline, any thoughts on on this whole sequence? Because it's a pretty significant sequence, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Kathleen being more ruthless than we had seen her yet, but it also happened prior before the other scenes yes. where we saw her potentially being less ruthless. Um, and so I, I, it felt a little disjointed to me in that regard as a flashback. Like I, I was almost expecting her character then to, you know, get the taste, <laughs> you know, the bloodlust, and like she right. would just escalate and become even more ruthless. And so like, if I were to watch them linear in, in linear order, yeah, seeing that scene and then seeing the, the scene in episode four, where she's interrogating Dr. Edelstein. Yeah. It, it, that almost didn't feel heightened enough to me to have come out of what I know now. Like she was hunting for them, for Henry. She knows that the Edelstein has information. She really needs this information because Henry's her number one priority. I feel like she already would have been at 11 coming in on that. Um, so when I think of it that way, I'm like, ah, uh, but when I watched it in the moment, my first yeah. watch through, it just felt like, Oh, Kathleen's going to go mess some stuff up. Right. <laughs> I, I agree 100% with you. Like I, that is, what I mean by that, well, except for the part where this part worked for you <laughs> in the moment, because I was just like, <laughs> it, it it doesn't make sense to me that she'd be so cold-blooded here and then in the next. Now, if I'm to argue against myself, if I'm to push back against myself, it's that um, theoretically, like, uh, she was very flustered in the last episode, right? In a way that she wasn't in this episode. She was dealing with this underground thing that was emerging from the from the from the basement and also um and also her people died and and she was flustered and uh and maybe she wasn't used to like losing a lot of her own people or she would that was a new leadership situation she was unfamiliar with and maybe that's why she behaved differently than she did in this episode um that that is a possible explanation i don't think it works personally you know like the, the whole kathleen thing doesn't the way the storyline plays out this episode doesn't really work for me for reasons we can get into, but like, uh, but if I'm to push back against myself, I'm preempting the emails. <laughs> I would say, Hey, different circumstances, episode four, Christian, you know, that, and that's why she acted differently. So, uh, playing devil's advocate. So anyway, Henry and Sam, they go into a building, they meet up with uh, Dr. Edelstein, the guy we saw her kill in episode four. He sets them up in a secret attic. Uh, and Henry suggests they sneak out of the city via tunnels. Um, Edelstein replies in a way suggesting he thinks the tunnels are dangerous. And, uh, you know, we don't know exactly why, but like there's many reasons why they could be dangerous as evidenced by stuff we saw in last episode in this episode. So there's a time jump. Uh, Henry and Sam are still in the attic. It's 10 days later. Uh, we see them like make all the superhero art that we saw in the space and then also like paint. I think Sam's the young one, right? Paint yeah. Sam's face uh, red, just like the superheroes. They're out of food. Uh, Edelstein's gone. He's not coming back seemingly. They got to get out of there. Gotta, they got to form a plan. Um, so then at that point they see the fight from episode four break out the gunfight where Joel kills dudes. Uh, and then, uh, Henry's like, guess what? We're changing the plan. And the new plan is follow Joel and Ellie, uh, because they're clearly going to be wanted in this society as well. Work together to get out of the city. That's the and, new plan. And I think this dude can handle himself in a way that I don't know if I can is the mm, thought. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. If yeah. stuff hits the fan, Joel just, you know, Henry watched him take out two or three. It seemed like he stopped watching before um, Brian, you know, gets the jump on him. And so 
Henry sees Joel kill two or three um, of Kathleen's mercenaries or whomever they are. Um, and is like, okay, new plan. This is a stranger. <laughs> this guy. This yeah, guy. Yeah. This guy is a guy who does those dirty deeds and we need his help. Who's got two thumbs and knows how to murder a lot of Kathleen's men. This guy. Uh-huh. Um, that guy. That guy. <laughs> that, guy. <laughs> that guy. That guy. Yeah. Uh, Kyle wrote this email into decodingtv.gmail.com about last week's episode. Uh, and that scene that we saw replayed again in this episode, um, where he said, I had a different take on the death scene of Brian. For me, his begging uh, and talking to Ellie and his calling for his mother was all continuing the emotional manipulation he started when kicking off the ambush. Acting and manipulation seemed to be his skill. So when he was injured, that's what he defaulted to to try and get out of it. I didn't read any of it as genuine. First of all, I don't know. Was that the same guy at the death scene that started the ambush? I don't recall that. I don't um, believe so. But I don't I, think it was. I think I it was a different guy. So. But anyway, my, the point being, Kyle read it as the guy was being manipulative and just trying to talk his way out of things. Um, that thought had occurred to me as well last week. Basically, the guy who Joel murders in cold blood last week. Like the question is, was he being genuine when begging for his life, or was he being manipulative? Um, I think the scene could be read either way. To be honest with you, um, well, I, but, I think both. I think when you're begging for your life, yeah. you are being manipulative, not in a yeah. bad way, but you are trying to <laughs> not live. In a bad way. <laughs> you're trying to manipulate how, the situation to live. <laughs> yeah. How dare you try to? Yeah. Well, I think. I think the the distinction Kyle's making is like Kyle's yes. like oh uh, uh, like this guy is still gonna kill Joel like at, yes. at the earliest yes. convenience right yes. you know um so the he question won't is be their friend yes. correct he's not yes. trying to be their friend right yeah uh but I think it's 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 open to your interpretation so I, I I did like that I wanted to bring up that email thanks to that email uh, thanks to Kyle at decodingtv at gmail for bringing up that interpretation so um now I got to ask you you know we'll probably talk a little bit more about it but uh, Henry and Sam. Uh, these are big characters in the video game. Uh, very, very prominent in the story. Uh, this is our first time meeting them. Uh, there is a big change. Uh, Sam is not deaf in the video games. Um, but uh, this is the first time we see of them. They interact throughout the course of the episode. Uh, I think this; these are great characters. Like The performances feel very authentic. Uh, I I feel like they actually have like a longstanding relationship. I feel the camaraderie, the love they have for each other. The whole Henry and Sam thing really works for me this episode. What do you think, Christian? Yeah, I agree. We we saw them at the very end of episode four, um, you know, sticking up Joel and Ellie and now spending time with them and kind of learning who they are. Um, Henry is played by Lamar Johnson and Sam um, Kayvon Montreal Woodward, who is uh, deaf himself, um, the actor. And I thought both of their performances, but particularly Lamar as um, Henry, w- was so charismatic and vulnerable yep. on screen. I loved the, you know, do I look worried moment where he's trying mm-hmm. to talk mm-hmm. to his little brother and make him feel secure and, and have these, you know, but also, you know, you see when he's trying to formulate these plans, like the... This is going to be bad. I I thought he was outstanding this entire episode. Really, really, really great. I I agree. He had a great mix of strength and vulnerability in the sense of like, oh, here's a guy who like, you know, would defy Kathleen, but also uh, feels like he understands his own weakness, like knows he can't get out of this alive by himself. Um, It was kind of cool to see like an alternate angle of what happened at the end of last episode, like 
how did they end up in that situation? We see everything that leading up to that, them following Joel and Ellie climbing up the stairs, you know, being worried about the glass on the ground and so on. Um, uh, but yeah, lar- largely the Henry and Sam storyline worked for me in the show. Like I thought it was a, it was a success in the show. And we learned um, how bad of a trap the glass is. <laughs> <laughs> they had it so far outside. I mean, yes, Joel's deaf in one ear, but they seem to have it so far outside the door. They step on it and Henry's like, hey, look out. And then they just avoid it. They mm-hmm. <laughs> they walk mm-hmm. around it the rest of the way in uh, <laughs> to sneak up on them. Well, at that point, Henry and Sam and Ellie and Joel meet for the first time. Uh, they hold them up at gunpoint, but they're like, hey, we just want to talk. We're not here to hurt you. And whatever Joel's flaws uh, largely, I would say, so far in the show, Joel has been very pragmatic. Like, you can imagine a different version of that character that would be like, how dare you hold a gun to me? And like, I'm going to be really angry about it now. But Joel's like, hey, look, we're all just trying to survive. Everyone's just trying to survive. Like, if you aren't here to hurt us, like, I will accept that, you know. And and uh, I like that he he feels very pragmatic. Um, Henry decides to trust Joel and Ellie. And we learn that Henry and Sam's, we, we learn what their names are and that they are uh, very wanted men or wanted people because Sam's not a man yet. Um, but they, they explain their plan, which is like they need, Henry needs a way out of the city and Joel needs a way out of the city. And Hey, why don't we help each other? And that seems to make sense to Joel because Henry has an advantage, which is that he knows the city very well. Like he knows uh, that if you get across this place, you get through this clearing, you get over this highway, you get over, over this bridge, whatever, you're going to make it out okay. Um, so they decide to band together. And we learn like a few more details about them um, and what their plan is. They want to take maintenance tunnels out of the city. Um, we also learn details about the infected. Like uh, Fedra drove the infected underground 15 years ago and never let them back up, um, which re-illustrates why Edelstein was saying like, don't take the tunnels and uh, also like seeds in some stuff about like what that ground cracking was last episode. Maybe we're going to see what's going on there by the end of the episode. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of make a plan together and then they're about to start their escape before we talk about like the whole escape sequence. Any other thoughts on uh, this whole sequence of them bonding and getting to know each other, Christian? This, this is more, I think, narrative than those that actual scene of the performance. What I find interesting is Henry's plan is to go in the tunnels because he heard from his Fedra guy that they're clear. And I'm not sure why that wasn't the plan with Dr. Edelstein. Because Edelstein was like, the tunnels, those aren't safe. I don't know why Henry didn't say they are. Let's go. Maybe in case they weren't, none of them were tough enough to take down. Right, maybe infected. Yeah. If they're like he, what he thinks it's safe, but he needs an enforcer to to do it. Because um, it seemed in that moment when he was talking in the attic, to Edelstein, like there there wasn't the certainty. And when he's talking to Joel now, there is this certainty of like or, this or, is, the or way. maybe there's a pocket of the tunnels that is clear, right? Yeah. Uh, but clearly, we learn by the end of the episode, there's a part, other parts. Uh, of underground that are not clear right not so clear. <laughs> not clear so so maybe it's like okay i know this specific pocket is clear right yeah um i i also share joel's skepticism in the plan he's like yeah we're gonna go underground there's not gonna be any infected there don't worry and then we're home free you know uh, it's gonna be fine and joel's like okay uh, this plan sounds pretty bad to be honest <laughs> um, and, and he but, also uh, kind of expresses my point he's like what do you need me for like you yeah. have this plan, what do you need me for? And, and Henry does kind of then say, I guess maybe answering my own question of like, I don't kill people like you do. Yeah. Like we need muscle. I do think that in general, 
the people who have made the show uh, have made it with the understanding that there's going to be people like you and me dissecting every single decision that happens. And they have uh, created like a justification for a lot of the stuff that happens, right? They've tried to make sure everything is character motivated, at least from a lip service perspective, right? It, it doesn't always work, but like most of the time it's like, oh, there should be a motivation why that character is doing that. There should be a motivation why Joel is carrying, like bringing Ellie across. It's because of family. It's because of his brother. There should be a motivation why Joel would ever agree to go along with this. It's because Henry knows the way. There should be a motivation why Henry needs Joel at all. You know, like it, it's all like, a lot of it is very clean from a screenwriting perspective, and I admire the um, the craftsmanship there. So, anyway, solid stuff. Solid stuff. Speaking of solid stuff, let's talk about a sponsor for this episode of Decoding TV, McDonald's, and specifically the McDonald's app. This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by the McDonald's app. Say it's raining outside, you're working late, maybe you had a really long night, you're trying not to leave the house today, just order Mook Delivery in the app and get McDonald's delivered to your door. You can now order Mook Delivery in the McDonald's app because every time you order in the app, it earns you points towards free food. Who does not love free food? Christian, I love using the McDonald's app. It is so fun and easy to use. It's fun to keep track of your points. Uh, you get to see what deals there are. And now, of course, depending on where you are, you might have Mook Delivery. Obviously, uh, I get hungry a lot, Christian. You know, I'm I'm a hungry guy. I'm a hungry boy. I need to eat my food, and one of the ways I can easily get access to that is uh, Mook delivery through the McDonald's app. Like if you were uh, trapped I, in an attic or in a museum, and it was dangerous to get out. The characters in the show wish they had <laughs> Mook delivery through the McDonald's app because if they did, I mean, if they did. I, I dare say Henry and Sam might still be safe in that attic today if they had McDelivery <laughs> in the app. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm just going to put that out there. So, uh, yeah, it's quick and easy. Uh, you get delicious food, and uh, it's just a pleasure to use. There's always a reason to order in the app. So uh, I do want to say that you can download the McDonald's app today at participating McDonald's. McDelivery download and registration required. Delivery prices might be higher than at restaurants. Delivery and other fees may apply. Thanks to McDonald's. For sponsoring this episode let's talk about the escape real quick we i think we get one other thing here and i yeah listeners let me know if it's been said earlier i think this is the moment we get clicker given to clickers <laughs> in 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 the game the name for the face busted open infected mm -hmm. uh, the bat like ones that ellie describes them earlier are, are referred to as clickers we've talked about it on this show with that term and i really like how this show keeps pulling those references from the game but not doing it in the wink point at the camera mm -hmm. like we talked about on yeah. the film cast episode for the uncharted movie we're like there's the character who voices the guy from the game and it's very much like a look at me moment mm -hmm. here in the show with the in-game costumes when they change into those outfits felt earned and 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 uh legitimate and here in this moment it's it's um, said in a way that doesn't bring attention to it as a, as a wink, but also is nice for fans of the franchise to hear um, as they you know go off on this journey. I love stuff like that. It's cool. I, I was actually stunned that this is the first time Clickers was mentioned because I thought I think it is, but I could yeah, be I, wrong. I, you might be right about that because we have talked about them as Clickers in the past. I think. But I don't know if it was in the show. I feel like Ellie might have said clickers at some point earlier in the show. But 
whatever the case, I would agree with you that the way the show has been seeding this stuff in feels largely pretty organic. So um, very little like it's Joel's jacket from the video game. Dun, dun, dun. You know, like even I, I, I hate I hate stuff like that in TV shows. Like I don't like that at all. So I'm glad the show largely eschews that, in my opinion. So. Even this happens later in the episode, but even the episode title "Endure and Survive" is a tagline from the game. Mm-hmm. And the way this show brings it up, but then also makes light of it, as you know, the community has over the years, it brings it up organically in the show, in a world in a, in a way that makes sense for the characters to hear it, and then allows mm-hmm. them to react to it later in a way that makes sense for a way for them to react to it. Versus in so many other styles of shows you'd hear them say endure and survive that's stupid wink and you know just like unearned and hear the mm-hmm. whole conversation around that tagline again feels earned like you said it's it's there's a mastery of the craft i think in terms of just general storytelling but also adaptation that i think is 10 out of 10 level so far throughout this show yeah. well they go into the tunnels and they find a makeshift preschool, but no one's there now. Um, they see on the walls, like these figures, Danny and Ish are protectors. They look like children's drawing of cops, maybe Fedra. Um, they find a comic book called Savage Starlight and Ellie reacts saying how much she loves them. Um, but yeah, it, they basically find this whole society that has existed underground, uh, which is pretty cool. Kind of a hint at like how things might play out in the future if you know people are forced underground, right? Um, so at that point, Henry says he lied about not killing someone before and tells a story about, um, a, a great man who, uh, who you could follow anywhere, but then Sam got sick and there's, uh, had got leukemia and there was a drug that worked and Fedra had it. But if you wanted the drug, you'd have to give them something big, that one great man. So presumably the story is that Henry betrayed Michael, AKA Kathleen, AKA Melanie Linsky's brother to get this leukemia drug for his brother, uh, for, for his brother, Sam. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Right. Christian. That that is how I read it as well. Yes. Yes. He, and he was maybe even on in the resistance, you know, the way he talked about it, he had access to Michael. It seemed like that was more direct than just being a dude who knew where a dude was, you know, it seemed like it was good Intel that was needed to get this medicine to, to save his younger brother. Yeah. Um, what do we think of this, Christian? I mean, this is all show invention, right? It's not in the in the video games. Uh, to me, this whole thing just requires like so many leaps of of logic, like uh, that. First of all, that Fedra would have leukemia drugs. It's like okay, I don't even, I, I, I barely even can wrap my head around that. And then it's like okay, somehow by betraying Michael. You can get the drug, but then they're going to let you go somehow, or, or he's going to figure out a way to escape. And then Kathleen's going to not understand this decision that Henry has made and be really pissed about it and go after it. It's just like, um, it just felt like to me, a little bit too much stuff to have play out off screen for me mm. personally. For me to be really like emotionally invested in this, I think they're you know the 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 showrunners were trying to find ways to like give the Henry and Sam storyline more emotional stakes, right? Uh, because in the video game, they're literally just random people you meet uh, on on your trip. 
Um, whereas in the show, it's like, oh, yes, it was a, it's all part of this big society that's been forming in Kansas City. And I just think, for me personally, they overextended um, with this storyline. That's me personally. What do you think, Christian? Did it all work for you? It, it worked for me a lot more than it did for you. I don't know. I am not a doctor. I don't know the treatment options for leukemia. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to assume that the show is accurate, that there is a drug that you can take that cures it um, or you know, at least slowed it down for Sam. It helped him in some meaningful way. I will I will go on that leap of faith with him. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but I will trust the show in that regard. Um, uh, and by the way, I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying right, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Se- no. 17 years after the apocalypse or, you know, 14 years after the apocalypse, if that would still be like produced, right? Of all the things they're producing, are leukemia drugs like one of their big prior? Like we live in a very resource scarce environment in this future, right? Like, so are they really still making leukemia drugs in the future? Anyway. Right. These are the things. I, these are the things I don't want to be thinking about. Like, I don't. I want to be like immersed in the show. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. I'm interrupted. I found. I found the the reasoning or explanation for Henry's betrayal to be heartfelt and to reinforce what I see as themes for this show, which are largely love and family and what you will do for love and family. Um, back to episode four, where Joel is, you know, telling Ellie. Uh, Firefly's a bunch of idiots. What are you doing this for for family? I'm not family, but Tess was close enough. Yeah. So I'm going to do this for that. Um, and, you know, um, what we saw with Bill and Frank and, and love and family and what you hold on to and the letter left for Joel. And now again, this idea of you would do it all for family. And when Henry's sitting here saying, am I a bad guy? Because I did bad guy stuff. Um you know, maybe, but it's, it's, it's versions of, uh, what is it? The trolley, uh, experiment, right. Where it's like, I believe I have that, What it's the idea of like, would you push one person in front of a trolley yes. to save a hundred or what if you don't have to push them? Would you just not say anything? Uh, you know, like right. what level would you go to sacrifice some to save mm-hmm. many? Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of hitting on those ideas of he knew what he was doing, Henry was going to get a lot of people killed, but it was saving his brother. So that makes it worth it. And I think whether or not that makes it worth it to you and I, I don't know, but I think that definitely makes it worth it for Joel. You know, like I think that really hit home for him and allowed them to connect in a way. And so I, I will meet the show with what it gives me in terms of this medicine existing, this happening. We do know that there is a factory somewhere that produces some medicine because Joel mm-hmm. was getting it to give to the federal yes. agents in the pilot. Um, and so I, I liked the weight of all that. And I think it um, I think it worked for me more so than it did for you. And I guess I just kind of fell in love with Henry as a character, as like a big brother and, you know, going to the ends of the earth to to save his little brother. I found sweet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let me, let me, uh, I guess let me walk back that like, uh, that statement about like, would Fedra really be making leukemia drugs? I guess if they are making drugs at all, which it seems like they, they are, they are making medicine, right? So it's like, okay, then it, then it stands to reason that maybe leukemia would be like one of the things that they're making medicine for. So I'm not like, or they're not um, making it, sorry to interrupt, but like they're not making it, but they have some and like, you know, maybe this was yeah, a or- really big maybe Michael was a really, really real, like literally nothing else gets him this, <laughs> you sure, know, sure. like this I, is I the me, nuclear football codes yeah. that Henry can deliver kind of thing. Um, I might say it's like a hat on a hat, you know? Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, 
maybe the themes of family and protecting yours are already landed by the rest of the Henry and Sam storyline. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if there was none of the stuff about the drugs and Michael and everything, like that, it's just Henry is trying to get Sam out alive. Like, isn't, is that enough, you know, or do you need the full backstory? Well, I think um, it motivates yeah. Kathleen and it, it you know, it, it motivates sure, the sure. rest of why the city is chasing them. I think for me, the story would have less weight if it was just, let's say they meet Henry and Sam the same way, but they're like, Hey, Fedra fell and we don't like what's happening here. People are becoming monsters, which we saw, you know, in the beginning of the episode, yeah. it felt very end of animal, animal farm to me. We're like yeah. the yeah. animals become the people and here are the people become the abusers again. Um, I feel like that wouldn't have had as much weight if they were just like, yeah, the city's bad and we got to get out, help us. I'd be like, oh, I mean, I guess, but this gave it that extra umph for me. Yeah. Um, I, I totally get what they're trying to do. You know, it, it goes back to what I was just saying five minutes ago about how like everything needs to be motivated. Why have it just be Henry and Sam fleeing the, the city when you can have there be some reason they're being chased? Okay. Why are they being chased? Well, it's because Henry loves Sam too much. Right. Like, and, and therefore was, you know, it's like, okay, I get, I understand how they got to there. Like the, the decision-making is sound, but I think like the way in which it played out, it just, the execution just didn't quite land for me because like I said, so much stuff happens off screen. Right. Um, I'm just a big sucker looking to cry during this show, Dave. I sure. need an outlet. That's, so that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> anytime they give me an outlet to cry, I'm like, this show's so good. Oh my God. <laughs> We get a scene with Kathleen and Perry. We learn about Kathleen's history with her brother, Michael. And she reminisces about how he kept her calm and safe as kids. And he's beautiful and kind. And she's not, uh, she's not kind. And, um, and she knows that Michael would not want her to hurt Henry and, and would want her to forgive him. Um, but Perry is like, hey, Kathleen, you're the person we're following. Um, we're with you, basically. Uh, now, I made some comments about Melanie Linsky's depiction as Kathleen during last week's episode of the podcast. Um, I got some support and pushback for those comments in the emails. And I will just say two things about it. And, and then I hope to not talk about it again on this specific episode. Um, I think that it's become clear through public statements from Melanie Linsky and other people writing about it and sharing their thoughts about it. Um, that the clear intention with Kathleen was to depict uh, a version of this kind of leader in a way that was atypical than what we're usually seeing, right? Um, what we're usually used to seeing is like a Marlene type or a Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor type, right? As like this kind of leader, like basically uh, emulating a lot of masculine, traditionally masculine characteristics um, to be in charge of a, uh, you know, organization of this kind. And it seems clear from everything that's happened in the show and what people have said that like they were the, the, the creators of the show and Melanie Linsky were like, what if we could depict a version of this character that wasn't like any of that. And people just respected her because she was smart and knew how to get shit done. I, David Chen am fully in support of that. <laughs> mission like i'm like yes that's that is an interesting task you have set before you uh and and fully support a diversity of depictions of leaders um female or not traditionally feminine or not like i'm 
I'm open to any of those kinds of depictions. Where this depiction fell down for me is what I, Chris, Christian was alluding to earlier was this idea of like telling and not showing. Oh, Kathleen, you put all this together. You made all this happen. And it's like, how? What, what, what are the things we have seen in Kathleen other than an abil- like a uh, ruthless uh, willingness to murder large groups of people for seemingly minor offenses um, that would have put her into power, Right. I don't believe the show does a good job of telling that story. And uh, you might disagree, and that's fine. But I do just want to distinguish between am I against like any unconventional depiction of leadership at all? No, I'm not, I don't think. Um, versus like, how well do I think this particular one was executed? All that said, um, I am a man. I have my biases. I have my you know, pre-existing thinking going into this. And so people might feel differently. Um, and I want to acknowledge that like, I, you know, uh, I, I try to check my biases. Sometimes I'm not always successful, um, but I wanted to kind of present as much as I could what my case was against this storyline. I will also say that the way in which it ends is incredibly silly. Like we get to the end of the episode to skip ahead a little bit. Kathleen has Henry dead to rights twice. <laughs> she's got him like she's holding him up. He's like standing there, doesn't kill him. Then later gets in front of him again with the gun, hesitates again. And it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, like maybe she was savoring the metaphor and the emotional catharsis of the moment, but it, it came off to me as ver- quite silly for somebody who we just seen earlier this episode execute like, or call for the execution of like a dozen people in cold blood. Like, it, it just none of it added up or made for a satisfying storytelling to me. I thought the, that, that's why I think the Kathleen storyline is like the show's first really big misstep. Not at the fault of Mel- Melanie Linsky, who I think is an amazing actor. I just think the way the story was written and played out didn't work for me. Okay, Christian, you now may or may not respond to any of that. And if you choose to let's move on, I'm completely fine with that, but hopefully that made sense. And let me know if anything I said was objectionable. There's a, a book I like winners take all. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in it, it talks about uh, it's about like the billionaire philanthropist in many ways, but there's also a part where it's like these companies will do things like we got to get outside thinkers in, we got to change up the system. So we're going to get this person who's not like us to give us this, come give us this big presentation, but they're going to be on the board of our company and we're going to do good things, big things. And then it, it through anecdotes and stories talks about how these people are then often in these board meetings, these atypical leaders, right? The, the non cisgendered, straight, white male, fortune 500 company CEO. And the whole meeting basically just becomes... Uh, your PowerPoint slide's not right. That's not how we would do it. Can I help you with, and there's like, you need to know how to be a part of the old boys club to actually then be in the old boys club that I think is truly problematic in our world, not the Mm -hmm. fictional Mm -hmm. 2023 and our real 2023. And I think among things that I enjoyed about that book, that section is part of it. And so I understand that idea of having Kathleen be this atypical leader that people will rally around because of potentially a maybe more typical leader giving her that air of authority. I think there are other ways that atypical leaders can rise to the top, certainly in many imaginative ones and many that we've seen in real life and others uh, in fiction as well. 
but I could see that happening for this character. And I, I'm all in. I buy in on that. I, I like mm. her performance. I think the characters played well. My problem is it, 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 we are told so much without seeing it. She, she tells us that she's bad. And we see her execute these people, but it's just her justification for doing it is I'm bad. And that <laughs> that wasn't enough for me. It's like, mm-hmm. I know you're bad. I've seen you. I mean, I guess those other people were rats or informers that did her dirty and were told that Kansas City Fedra was the worst of all Fedras. Mm-hmm. Um, we're told all these things, but all I've seen is her being a horrible person and the people that liberated Fedra, as I alluded to or said earlier, becoming, you know, the animal farm moment of them becoming those horrible people also. And maybe that's one of the themes of the show is just idea of like, what is humanity? Uh, you know, yeah the gray area. So for me, where her, where this storyline falls a little bit, little flat and misses a little bit, it, it's not as far off the target, I think for me, as it is for you, right, it's just right. in those moments of, of Kathleen looking down the barrel of the camera and being like, my motivation is this because of this. Now I'm going to yeah. do my motivation. But the other side of that is Perry whom I love. And uh, I think his reaction to her, I think, I, I guess, let me try to distill my thoughts. I would love a Bill and Frank, Perry and Kathleen episode. Like they've shown me this awesome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thing, I, I, I want I, that I think again. That would have helped so much. I, I think I don't think the Kathleen storyline was inherently doomed in the way that I'm describing it. But I think there's just not enough there. Like again, Kathleen only shows up in the last like 20 minutes of last episode. I think, if I recall correctly, right? Um, and. Then she's in a few, a few scenes of this episode. And like from this, they want you to assemble the entire history of Kathleen's life or like at least the last few years of her life. And to me, it's just not enough to square with the depiction that we see. That's me personally. A lot of people feel differently. I hope I have articulated my opinion in a way that feels open-minded to what the show is trying to give to me um, and to us as a whole. Um it, it did not work for me. If it worked for you, I'm I'm very glad. And um, and if you feel like my mind further needs to be opened, I'm open to hearing it. But I, you know, I, I want to make clear that there's a difference between the intention of what the show is trying to do and also the execution. Like I think those are very different things. Right? For, for me, and again, I support it's... the intention and not I'm not a fan of the execution. Go ahead, Christian. It's like 67 home runs versus 72. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> I'm judging everything by episode three now. Ah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> You've set the record. You've set the record. Indeed, indeed. All right. So uh, the escape, right? They get out of the tunnels into this neighborhood. It appears they're home free. Oh my gosh, I everything's great. This. I loved Henry in this moment too. Oh, so beautiful. Loved what, it. The, what, the did you, what did you love about it? Oh he yeah, yeah. Like, I told you. Yeah. I got the plan, and it worked. <laughs> and Joel's still like cagey, and Ellie's like, "That's how we like. Let's come yeah. with us on our trip." Oh. I I loved this moment. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anyway, they start getting sniped at from down the street, uh, and so Joel sneaks into the house, takes out the sniper in a, in a really amazing sequence. I thought, like, he goes in. It's terrifying. It's really well edited, well shot. And then he um, he tells the guy, like, it's an older man. You're like, hey, don't make me do it. And then, of course, the guy makes a move against him and Joel is forced to kill him. Then Joel takes control of the sniper and needs to defend Ellie. Well, he hears the uh, radio, right? He learns right. what yeah. the sniper was doing. Yeah. It was basically holding them there as Kathleen and, and crew 
showed up. So then he, I love that moment of him yelling from the clock tower or from the, the, the building, the sniping yeah. location for Ellie, Henry and Sam to run. And it just not being loud enough or yeah, in time enough. Yeah, that was, was great, great sound design, great stuff. So anyway, uh, Kathleen, uh, starts showing up with her men and then drives this plow through the streets as I mentioned earlier on the episode, it's incredible. It looks amazing. Like it looks like they actually did a lot of this. Um, and then it crashes into this house um, because Joel, I think Joel like snipes, right? The the driver. And then it crashes into this house and then fricking. Well, actually before we, the world was either, there's the Kathleen and Henry confrontation, right? So she, Henry, Kathleen tries to draw Henry out. Henry gives himself up. He tells Ellie and Sam to, to run away. And, um, but before Kathleen can stop with the, the villain monologuing and kill Henry, World War Z breaks out. <laughs> the book or the like, movie? No, just kidding. Yeah, the, the movie. This is freaking, it's like zombie tornado all over again. It, it's, <laughs> it is nuts. It's, it's, I, I really liked it because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of CG, but I, think, I thought it overall looked very, uh, very cool. Um, it's well established from multiple points earlier in the episode like last episode we saw the underground thing and they said the you know a lot of the infected are underground and so it all like made sense it all like added up you know yeah uh, there, there's some amazing mini scenes where a clicker gets into the suv with ellie uh and oh yeah like terrifying it's, it's like, like a, it's like, like a, a con- child contortionist clicker, like yeah a contortionist like, clicker <laughs> goes like over the seat very yeah. like classic horror you know, things on the wall, then it turns its head, uh, exorcist, you know, 360. Ah, terrifying stuff. Stuff of nightmares. It's amazing. Joel's like trying to snipe out these clickers left and right. This is a very common video game trope where you have like one character um, who's sniping and trying to protect other characters. And it was really a thrill to see it in a, in a TV show. You know, it's, it was obviously in Last of Us Part 1, but it was, it's also in other video games like... Um, Max Payne 2, that was a big like section of that. If I recall Every Call game. of Duty, I yeah, think. There's a uh. lot of like these, this is a very common video game trope. So, so, and I was like, this is a really well executed version of that idea in, in, on, the, uh, on the TV screen. So I really like that. Um, but yeah, they, they finally get away. Kathleen confronts them again uh, before she's overtaken by a clicker and presumably killed. Again, I thought, I thought that stuff was pretty silly. It reminded me of Syndrome saying, there, you caught me monologuing again in The Incredibles. Like, Kathleen, if you really hate him so much, just kill him. I know. I guess she's torn because of Michael's thing, but it's like that doesn't feel quite as genuine, given that we've seen her murder all these other people early in the episode. Like, it'd be one thing if she like didn't like killing or was torn on killing all the time, but like, I don't know. It didn't work for me at all. Christian, what do you think of those last moments with Kathleen? Hearing you talk about it makes me question if it worked for me. Uh, but in <laughs> the moment, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't mean to do that. <laughs> in the moment, it did, and I and in trying to like on the fly think of why. I think here's why: Kathleen did not think she was under any threat or duress the first mm. time she caught Henry. Sure, definitely. And so, save for the moment, villain monologue or whatever, or yes. string him up and bring him back to Kansas City and be yeah. like, "You're gonna betray me." This is what's going to, you know, I don't think right. there was, right. there yeah, was yeah. no urgency. I had that thought too. It's like, maybe she's going to bring him back. Like that, yeah. I did have that thought. Yeah. So there was no urgency. I don't, I don't know if she was going to kill him then and there. I don't think yeah. she was looking to just like, gotcha, boom, bang, done, move on. What a day. Let's go grab some beers, Perry. Um, so I think that's why that one happened. Yeah. So that, the, that one, I agree. I, I can accept that that, that actually is not completely terrible, but 
But then the second, <laughs> then the second one, it's like, okay, by this point, this is your last chance, Kathleen. If you're going to kill him, you know. <laughs> I think that one was quick enough where I think she was, and then it, she catches Ellie's eyes. I think it was Ellie. Ellie's eyes dart to see the clicker, um, yeah. you know, pouncing like a jaguar out of the back. So I yeah. just don't know if there was time. I think that's when I watched it in the moment. I think it was like flustered. Oh my god, I'm running out of here. I'm getting. Oh my gosh, I got you. Oh, I got what? What are you looking at? Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened mm-hmm. quick enough for me that when I watched it real time, I didn't. It didn't bump for me. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for bearing through my complaints about this. I'm sure there's like a lot of people screaming at their car radios right now, being like, "It's not a problem, David Chen." Emails Sometimes are I- pouring uh, into your inbox the way clickers poured out of that hole in, under the <laughs> building. <laughs> Sometimes I get hung up on random things and uh, listeners love it and they also extremely hate it. So um, I understand. I understand how it is. But yeah, I mean, as far as we know, that's the end of the Kathleen storyline, right? Like that's that's where it ends. And, um, you know, again, like I, I just I, I didn't know I was uh, when I got to the end of it, I was like, that's it. That's all we're going to get with Kathleen. That was that was the whole thing. I was a little bit disappointed, but I think I've already made my points clear. So but how awesome was Perry's death? Uh, amazing. Incredible. I, and I, we also we also saw this thing that in the in the video game is called a bloater, right? I believe it's called. It's this like gigantic bloated kind of version of a clicker. Yeah, that, Hulk. I mean, he unloads a clip into it and it's not going down. And I, oh, I love that. Ripped his head off like a little, you know, not the focus of the shot. I thought that was beautiful. I mean, grotesque, but. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I thought it was really, really well done. And the whole sequence is really well done. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of like differences between this sequence and the next sequence from the games. We'll talk about those in the bonus episode uh, at decodingtv.com. Okay. So then, the aftermath. They arrive at an old motel. Uh, Ellie and Sam read a comic while Joel and Henry chat. Uh, they talk about how things are easier when you're a kid. You know, Henry wonders at Ellie's resilience. And Joel says, you know, it's easier when you're a kid. You don't have anyone else relying on you. That's the hard part. Of course, Joel has... A lot of experience with that at this point in his life. Um, but they decide, hey, maybe we should team up. Maybe things are finally looking up for the old Joel and Ellie these days, you know, because they got some new friends. Everything's going well. They made it out of the city alive against all odds. It's sleep time. Ellie and Sam keep reading the comic. Sam then asks Ellie if she's ever scared. Ellie says she's scared all the time of scorpions, but also of ending up alone. Um, she asks what Sam's scared of. And Sam's wondering, hey, if you turn into a monster, are you still you inside? He doesn't know. Uh, and then he shows her he was bitten down by his ankle. Uh, Ellie then communicates to him, hey, like, I was bitten too, but I survived. Like, maybe my blood can help you. Now, I'm going to tell you, Christian, uh, this whole sequence was like a show invention. It didn't, it didn't happen where, like, Ellie in the game showed Sam her wound that she had healed from and have that communication. Uh, and I was really starting to get nervous because... Typically, when a show or a film introduces magic blood that can revive people and cure people, that's when the thing has jumped the shark. See Star Trek Into Darkness as an example of that. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, are they really going to go this route where like Ellie's blood heals Sam? Like, I hope not. Um, and of course, that's not the route they went. Uh, Sam is not healed the next morning. He attacks Ellie. Henry then shoots at Joel trying to defend Ellie before shooting Sam and then turning the gun on himself. Deeply upsetting and troubling sequence. 
Brutal gut punch. Ellie and Joel then bury Sam and Henry outside. Ellie seems pretty shaken up. Uh, and we see that Ellie had left Sam's notepad on his grave with I'm sorry written on it. Uh, before Ellie's like, let's go. We 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 have to keep moving. And uh, they walk into the distance before we wrap, wrap up the episode. So real gut punch to end the episode on, Christian. What do you think of this whole sequence? Yeah, that I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that was real. Sketch brutal. pad. Brutal. Just, just brutal. brutal. And then Ellie being despondent, you know, in many ways and just kind of closed down after, you know, immediately prior to that, Joel talking about how resilient kids are. Um, and you're starting to see that perhaps that resiliency might be wearing off for Ellie. She's yeah. uh, 14 going on 40, you know, well, at, at this well, point. Or, or, or alternative interpretation is like, it's, it's, um, it's accelerating, you know, she's becoming too resilient because, mm, mm. Just a couple of episodes ago, she was like really broken up about the death of Tess. And I'm sure she's deeply upset by Henry and Sam's death too. But like, instead of like, hey, I need to take a few hours to process this. It's like, let's just keep going. She's become inured to tragedy and loss, right? Um, and that is also really sad and tragic, right? This yeah. is the stuff that Joel doesn't want Ellie to have to deal with. And then my only narrative thoughts on the scene are around the idea of the blood and whether or not she bought into it because she, or is this a thought she has in the moment because Sam is so scared because th- there was never a thought of to do that to Tess um, or uh, lamenting, not trying it with Tess that we've seen yet. And then if she believes in it or she doesn't believe in it, I'm surprised that she falls asleep in the chair next to this kid she knows is going to turn um so i I just wasn't exact i think like the emotion of those moments and on my initial watch nothing really jumped out at me it was on my second watch of those scenes where i started questioning like does she believe this if so then what if not then what well it's time for dave chen to come swooping in with some defense of the logic of the show right which is um tess was bitten in her like neck area right yeah. And this and Sam was bitten in his leg. And so Sam has like way more like Tess was going to change at any moment. Mm. And Sam had hours to change. It, it really makes me realize like how important that chart we saw in episode one was for like yeah. three seconds. It's like, yeah, that really established the rules of the world that basically the higher up you get bit, the the, the quicker you turn. Yeah. Um. But uh, but yeah, there maybe she's like, hey, Tess, she was a lost cause because we only had like minutes. But for Sam, we had a whole, di- uh, you know, overnight. So, you know, uh, maybe there's a chance. There. Yeah, my blood has time to do its work or, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. 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 So. Um, you swoop anyway. in like a superhero with red painted on your face there, Dave. Uh, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. So. But yeah, I mean, the ending of the episode was a real big cup, gut punch. I thought the whole final set piece was like really well done overall. Um, so there's a lot to like about this episode. Um, I think. They tried to give a backstory to Henry and Sam. They tried to give a, a backstory to Kathleen and, and have that be like an unconventional character. I don't think it succeeded. If you thought it succeeded, great. Uh, but overall, I still like the episode. I thought it was like a pretty solid episode. C- certainly enjoyed it more than last episode. Um, not as good as episode three, but like pretty, pretty solid. Any closing thoughts on season one, episode five of The Last of Us, Christian? I think they have to be the dark mirror image of my closing thoughts, I believe, on our discussion of episode four. I think in episode four, I said, hey, they introduced characters and they didn't die. Well, guess what episode five did? It killed them all, Dave. We're back. 
We're back to characters being introduced that are now well, dead. Literally, literally every single major character that was introduced in episode four died. Right? They're all dead. They're all dead. They're like at this point, if we had, oh, I guess we have. I was going to say, well, I, let me let me stay the point before I correct myself on the point. At this point in the show, if we had seen Tommy on screen post outbreak, like post flash mm-hmm. forward in twenty twenty three. I would know he's dead. You know what You'd I mean? Like, like he's he's doomed. He's doomed. <laughs> he's, we've seen him. He's dying. But because we only saw him, you know, pre outbreak day, he might be okay. But everybody, else, anyone else, they show me like yeah. if random Jerry walk on one line extra walks across the screen. I'm like Jerry, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not this episode, but you're not <laughs> not ended well for you. <laughs> uh yeah and to be clear we don't know if I, I we literally don't know if tommy's alive in the world of the show or not so um it remains to be seen only because he hasn't been seen post outbreak <laughs> <laughs> if he was he'd be doomed exactly <laughs> christian until next week where can people find more of your work on the internet uh my website's a good place to start christianspicer.com which uh i just put up a store christianspicer.com slash store where the only thing there is my comic book i wrote a comic book called consequences Ooh that I think people of The Last of Us would really enjoy. Um, Greg Miller from Kind of Funny said some nice things about it when it launched. Some folks at Insomniac, if you like video games, some folks at Naughty Dog said some nice things about it when it came out. It was uh, funded via Kickstarter, I think in 2020. And I have some extra stock that I finally was able to wrestle away and get, and I'm making it available to people. Um, so if you go to christianspicer.com slash store, or just website, you'll see the store link there. You can see the book, incredible art, uh, logo designed by Corey Schmitz, who did the design for Control. Eduardo Mello did the interior art. Lauren Affey did the coloring. Taylor Esposito, the lettering. It's a it's a book about violence um, and kind of what that means for the world and an epic, grounded John Wick-style fight. I think people would dig it. And I just remembered that I put it up like last night. So you can find it there for that extra stock I was able to get to send to folks. Amazing. ChristianSpicer.com slash store. Check it out. Find us on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at DecodingTV. Email us at DecodingTV at gmail.com. Love to hear your feedback and your thoughts. We read them all and we respond to them on the air sometimes. Thanks so much for everyone for listening. Thanks to all of our DecodingTV.com paid members for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week.